So today we're going to be reading from Mark, um, Mark 10, this is 1 to 12, all right, yeah, perfect. Ask Jesus like this, don't be less passive, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Open this up and pray. Dear God, how wonderful you are to allow us to assemble this morning. This is always a privilege and opportunity to be able to come to a place where believers can gather together, Lord, and hear the word, and we pray that. Holy Spirit, a word that can come forth that only can glorify you, Lord, and also pierce our hearts. Pierce all our hearts here today, Lord, so that we never smother the truth, that we allow the truth to challenge us, confront us. Bring us to a place to ask ourselves, what are we really doing here and why are we here today? Open our hearts and minds to receive this word, Father. You are gracious and merciful and all Chapter 10, verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said, because of the hardness of their hearts, he wrote you this person, precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man should leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man, let no man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him about the same manner. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity, Father, to look at your word. And um, as, we approach it, as we approach it, Father, we just thank you for the truth that you always relay to us. And the imagery, Father, the illustration that you give us. We thank you again for this day. Amen. Matthias, before we get into this passage, Matthias is going to play a song for us. 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Have a seat. Praise God. I love that song. I tell you, when I'm singing, I drive. When I'm singing that, praise God. I'm good at the moment. And you know what? It reminds me of the authority of Jesus Christ, who I was and who I am today. And I said, well, how's this going to relate to this passage? This speaking about divorce and marriage. It's like God saying, this is such a bigger picture. This is so much more than just divorce and marriage. This is about the authority of Jesus Christ. It's about the authority that Jesus shows who he is and how he responds to these Pharisees that are following around chasing him, trying to, 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 to test him and show him that he's a liar and trying to show that he's not God. And Jesus is responding with authority because that's who he is. He's God. And we need to be reminded always the authority that we have is in Christ and not our own. The authority we have, who we are, our, our um, image of who we are is in Christ. It's Christ who may be who we are today when you believe in him and accept and repent of his sins. It's in Christ. And we miss it and we lose it. We read this passage and read this is the living word of God. This is the truth. The living word of God. This is not just a book. This is not just something we read because we got spare time. Well, I feel like being encouraged today. Let me read a little bit because I'm feeling a little down. This is the word of God. This is God telling you what you need to hear. When you truly believe in Christ, your heart has repented, and you come to the cross, then you understand that your life is not your own. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. Because your identity is in him. Who you are is in Christ. It's not in you. And until you truly have come into the cross and received that truth and repented of your sins and believe that Christ truly died for your sins and is your God, then you'll never get it. And you'll miss it. And you'll constantly miss it because you keep thinking it's about you. And it's not. Wake up, Paul. It's not. So when you think you're doing good things, you think you're doing this, you're doing, oh, I'm a good person, all oh, this nonsense, it's not about you. It's about him. And it's always going to be about him. If you want to walk in the authority of Christ. Now, if you want to walk in your own authority, I wish you all the best. And see where it gets you. It's a never-ending road that never ends. You chase something you'll never find. So when we read here, you know, Jesus continues as he's going in, in, in this in this passage, and he's going and then trying to confront him, and, and then trying to tell him, um, uh, in verse 2, I'm just going to go to verse 2, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? Like, who do you think you are to test God? I mean, who do you think you are to test God? Who do I think I am to test God? We're looking at this as Pharisees, are they kidding me? They watched... You know, Jesus do these miracles, they, they see this, and they still have the audacity to chase God. Well, what about you and me? What about the miracles in our lives? But yeah, we want to test God. And how do we test God? We say, oh, well, I'm not testing God. Well, you're testing God when you doubt God. You're testing God when you make everything about you. You're testing God when you don't follow, you know, putting God first and loving your neighbor. We're constantly testing God. So you better recognize you are always testing God. 
You're no better than these, we're no better than these Pharisees. But here's the difference. We walk in the authority of Christ. When Christ went to heaven, he probably, before he left, he said he promises a helper. A helper is the Holy Spirit that he promises. Once we accept Christ and believe who he is and repent of our sins, we have the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, leading us. What Christ didn't have that. There's a big difference. Verse 3, and he answered and said to them, what did Moses command? Jesus always goes back to, at that time, the law, I mean, the truth, right? Jesus goes back to let them know, listen, I know. I wrote, you know, I allowed Moses to do it. You know what I mean? He's telling them what, you know, because he knows they know. You know, the Pharisees at that time were the PhDs of today in religion, right? They were the, you know, your PhDs in theology and, and uh, I'm college, you know, I'm just kidding, but theology and everything else, you know what I mean? Your, your, your theological seminary professors are the professors, the Pharisees. Jesus shows them a response that way. And meanwhile, listen, Jesus didn't have to go to school to know the word of God. Jesus is the school. He is the word. God tells us. They said Moses in verse 4, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss and to dismiss her. You see how verse 4, Jesus said, What did he command? I mean verse 3. And then the Pharisees caught themselves and said, Okay, he permitted Moses to write a certificate of divorce. You see, God allowed Moses because the people were so sinful. They were just doing whatever they wanted at that time in old Israel. So God allowed Moses to write a certificate of divorce so, he, so these people could at least have some type of uh, uh, order while they're doing that. And that was a grace of God. That shows you grace in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, God's showing grace that he allowed them to do that because in those times, the woman didn't have a certificate of divorce. The woman was pretty much shamed. Never divorcing them like nothing. But God allowed them to write that, so at least the woman could allow to be remarried. Certificate of divorce. God says he strictly hates divorce. He says it in Malachi. So it's not like God say, go ahead and do it. But he says, since you're going to do it, let's have some water. God gave us a little freedom there, but he gave mostly grace. So when you think that, when people say that the word of God, the Old Testament is all about fire and brimstone, no, it's not. God shows grace. He shows just. He shows love. Because that's a love act there, I think, of mercy. Because we have no right to think what we're doing today more than ever to change the definition of what marriage is. We're going there. We all know what's going on with that today. So you see what they're going through in that time. We're going through this time. So you can't say this book is not for yesterday, today, tomorrow. People want to say it's old book. They were going through the same stuff we're going through today about divorce and stuff. The arguments. The two different, you know, schools, rabbis. One was more, uh, you know, liberal than the other. 
One would say, you know, yeah, you can only divorce if, you know, your wife or, you know, committed adultery. And we see that in Matthew. But the other one, you know, there's another school. The other school is where, you know, you can divorce if she cooked that. You can divorce if she was ironing your clothes. Same thing today. We got liberal schools today with both two sides. Crazy. Same thing. As yesterday, this today. So walking in the authority of Christ. I printed up something that you know I wanted to read, and I think this is an important thing, especially with the movement and everything. But in general, because it, it does, it does make me think a lot. Pastor John and no others, you know, what people think. What is church really about? Why are we going Sundays? You know, why is it? What is the importance of Sunday? You know, you know, yeah, I mean, Saturday, whatever. But what is the point of the gathering? You know, especially today with online and you know, and and um, you know, the internet and all the different new videos and like that. But what's the point of the gathering? And I, I found a good article I, I want to read that um, I thought that's a good point today. I don't go to church anymore. They all, they're all hypocrites. Who said that, right? That's like the famous line, right? Tyra said to Pastor Tim, on more than one occasion, Pastor Tim had heard this sort of comment. He'd be first to agree the church is made up of people who are not perfect. Amen? <laughs> Neither was he, for that matter, amen? But each time Pastor Tim heard such comments, his heart would break because he knew the incredible value of doing life together with the body of Christ. I love that language, life together. I always hear it and I forget it. When I read it, I was like, yes, life together with the body of Christ. It's not coming here to get Publix. Not Panera anymore. But, but it's doing life together. There's a purpose. Love that language. Pastor had long ago learned how Satan uses people and circumstances to disappoint Christians to pull them away from the very people God would use to bless, train, and encourage them at a church. But recognizing the enemy's schemes did not ease the sorrow of his or any pastors, hard for his people. Maybe you don't have issues with any anyone at church, or you're just really busy on weekends doing other things, good things, attending your kids' soccer games, going on family getaways, and fixing stuff around the house, all good things. But if they regularly, regularly, that's the key word, regularly, I didn't say, regularly, take you away from church attendance, you would do well to realize you're choosing the captivity of activity over what God says is more important. Going to church is not about getting your attendance gold star, nor is it about gaining God's favor for the week because you assemble together with his people. Church is not a place to go, rather it is a living body where God wants you to become a part. For your good and his glory. Church is about a living body where God wants you to become a part for your good and his glory. 
not about a building, not about a place, not about anything else. But for you, you're good in His glory. In His glory, you become blessed. If Christ is first, and the only reason why you come here to assemble, then all the other blessings, whatever that may be, will come. But if that's not the case, then you're fooling yourself and wasting time. Because church is about assembling, living together. Fellowship. Amen. So he gives ten reasons which I liked. You know, there's some words we can have with ten, ten good ones. One was to hear the preaching of the word. Amen. Two to, number two was to participate in corporate worship. Three was iron sharpens iron. Four was to exercise your gift. Exercising your gift. I've said it before, and PJ said it many times, we all have gifts. But we waste the gifts that God has given us when we don't use them together in a body to grow, to show the world who Jesus Christ is. We waste a supernatural gift that we've been blessed, blessed and privileged with. This is a privilege. This is not something we just do. This is a privilege. Church is a privilege. Assembly is a privilege. Life together is a privilege. Being a child of God is a privilege. Walking in his authority is a privilege. Let's not get that confused. And we so often do. Sometimes I get him tired. I'm like, eh, you know what? I could use a day Sunday off once in a while, PJ. But you know, it's a privilege. Who am I to say that, you know, who, who I think I am before I was running in the mud? Now I'm tired because I'm doing the things of God that, that, that God has called me to do. Not perfectly, but serving. Such a better place. I want with Almighty King, His authority. My identity's in Him. It's no longer me. I'm a piece of crap. I'll be the first one to tell you over and over. And it may seem like, you know, that, you know, in arrogance. No, my arrogance is in Christ. It's not in me. I am. And the reason why I know things is because God tells me these things. The reason why I think sometimes I know it all, which my uh, buddy there will tell me he know it all, is the God of Word tells me. When I counter the word, when I counter the world, the culture, God tells me that what I need to know, and I counter it with the word. Because God knows everything. So I'm just repeating what he tells me. So if I repeat what he tells me, then yeah, I guess I do know because I'm just repeating what he's telling me. Right? So exercise you give. When we do the movement, we go all that we serve. Listen, nothing's going to be easy. It never is, but it's not supposed to be. Christ said, I have no place to lay my head. He said, if they hate you, they'll hate me. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. Who do you think? They're going to hate Jesus, but not us. Don't hate you. Something's wrong. People are not hating on you um, as a believer in Christ. Something's wrong. Let's be, let's be honest. Satan hates God. Satan hates his children. He hates H-A-T. He hates you if you are a true believer in Christ. So how could you not be hated? Right? Makes, I mean, you don't even know how to be for that. I mean, that, that's pretty simple. So if you're not hated for the word of God, something's wrong. Let's be honest. 
I'd rather be hated for the word of God than hated for the things I've done in my past. I have to walk in shame. My head down. It's embarrassing. But at least now I won't hate me. Yes, praise God. I mean, I don't want you, you know, I mean, I don't want you to hate me for, you know, um, um, because I'm, I'm doing things that, you know, hurt you in the way that's in the world, but hate me because I love Jesus, is I want you to come to Christ. Don't you hate me now, but I'm hoping later you'll learn to love me because of Jesus Christ in me. And that's the picture and the intent you want to hear. So exercising these gifts is so important. And we smother them and waste them. To encourage your pastor, amen, because pastor does need encouragement. You know, we look up here and sometimes, you know, he's like, uh, you know, tired. But we encourage, you encourage when you come because you encourage him. God's called him to be Pastor John, our pastor. There's no denying that. I'm not going to deny that. You can, but I'm not. That's why I'm here with him. So, we are an encouragement to him because it's not easy. Though some may think, what's the big deal pastor does? You know, you know, just serving in church is hard, let alone pastoring. You don't know what's going on. That's why some we have so many of these things happen with these pastors today, because it's just so much overwhelming and then they forget why they why they're doing what they're doing. And they forget the authority that they walk. To find godly mentors. We are to look to each other and mentor each other in a godly way. To teach your kids to love the church. We are the role models, right? We, if we go to church, we pray that the children will follow us and come to church as well. Because obviously we want them to have a relationship with God and receive the benefit of eternal life. Because I want to spend eternity with my son and my kids. I don't want them, I don't want them to be there without, not, not that I'm trying to notice it at that point, but right now in this world, I do want them there, want them there with me. And everyone else. Eight, to be a light to your community. Believe it or not, people are always watching. People are always watching. You are a light in your community when you go to church on Sunday, believe it or not, even though you're in here. To bear each other's burdens. We are encourage one another, share with each other, encourage one another, and talk to each other. Carry each other's burdens together. The last, this one says, because God says so. God says the reason why to go to church, and he gives us Hebrews, which we all know, I'm sure familiar, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do not forsake assembling one another. You can't mess that one up. God says it clearly. So, am I saying, hey, listen, you can't miss it Sunday here? I'm not saying that. Of course not. I'm not trying to say that. God's not trying to say that. But what we're just trying to, you know, uh, what I'm trying to relay and what I, I believe that God's trying to tell us is that church is important. And don't take it like it's not. A summit together is important. And don't take it like it's not. It's important. And you know in your heart of your heart, when you don't come and then assembly one another, you're missing something. And I know you know because I know I do. And that's why I was so, you know, adamant about when we follow Chan's book and stuff and, and his name we believe he's he's being prophetic right now and, and doing the home churches when we move, we're gonna have some home churches developed, and I praise God that Melissa's going to and myself is going to have my home open for that and, 
and you know, not Sundays, but throughout the week. And then we pray that everyone else is encouraged anyway. Also, because it's about inviting your neighbors to your home and, and having little studies and, and, and having these assemblies. All right? Because you have these little pockets, these little groups all over the place of sharing Jesus. Don't have to be 50, 100, 1,000 people. Because that's not what God intended. God intended for these big churches of 20,000 people. Let's not get that confused. We've made it that. But God didn't intend for that. And we look through Acts. Read Acts. You see what's going on in Acts. The book Acts clearly says it. You just got to read it. It's these people. Disciples going around setting up these people, these groups. And they're all sharing the word of God in people's homes. And they're sharing with each other. So it's about the fancy music of of the smoke or this, the streets, all that stuff. But we do it. I'm not saying, I'm saying it's not about that. So read the word of God. That's why this is so important. This is the truth right here. You can't go wrong when you read this. You can't go wrong. And Jesus' authority that he does here, that he tells us here, is in here. We'll go to 2 Timothy real quick because this will be, this is uh, bringing it to, I don't know if I find it this time, but this is what it's leading to. 2 Timothy 3, we are sure we know the scripture, but I'm going to read it again um, to say what God says. 3, 16, 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This right here is to equip, equip you for every good work. Because when you doubt or question, you go back to this. When you doubt you're not sure, you go to someone that knows this. But you go to this. This is your authority. John says what? The living word manifests itself into flesh. This is the living word that was manifested into flesh. And authority in Christ. This and this. You want to say, you know, the, the, the great debates are always, you know, the errors, don't just show me the errors, and I'll show you that you're a fool. Let's go into chapter 4. Here, Paul's writing Timothy, 2 Timothy. I mean, second, Paul's writing 2 Timothy. Paul's writing Timothy in the 2 Timothy towards the end of his you know, journey in chapter 4, right? And right after 17. And, you know, it's reading that, it's like, you know, because I am, I'm feeling, you know, I'll stop here, I'm the brother here, you know, I'm feeling crap, you know, I'm here, I'm preaching this, and, but, you know, it, you know, I, I'm so worthy to be up here. This is, you know, honestly, I, you know, I love teaching God's word, but I hate being, I don't like to, you know, to be center stage, because I was such a center stage in the wrong way, in my previous way, before Christ. I don't like it. And I'm comfortable. It's not the exact memory. But it's a privilege. Who am I to, to say, you know, Peter asked me, you know, to, to come up here to say no. I'm privileged. I don't have the right or authority. You don't have the privilege to tell God or, or tell a man of God to tell him what we can and can't do. Who, who do you think we are? So chapter four. 
I charge you, therefore, be, uh, I'm, gonna be, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through, one through 8. Yes. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Here Paul's speaking to Timothy, his disciple. Who I mean his mentor, who he mentored. As we're being mentored here. Three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Hello, we see that, right? But according to their own desires, because they are itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Right? We've got all these famous teachers, right? Ooh. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, because you are an evangelist, believe it or not, we all are. Okay, it's not left for you know Joe Schmoll, who it's for all of us, because this is the adultery, right? So Timothy, who we are the message. Evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You're not evangelizing, you're not fulfilling your ministry. Ouch to me, because I know I've been laid back in that area. And I've been convicted with that so much. Six, for I am ready being poured out as a drink offering. His Paul says, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering at the time my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight and finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you say that right now if, you, if God calls you? Can you say that? Paul said that. Yeah, Paul said, you know, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He said, I have fought of us now. Paul said, I murdered him. I'm the worst of the worst, of the heathen of the heathens. And then here he say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Eight, finally, there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which more the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You have the opportunity crown of righteousness. I just Paul, as Timothy receives, and you and I, crown of righteousness. So what's important? What's important? Can you say this about yourself? Is Paul saying this to Timothy? Makes you think, makes you wonder. We'll go back to the passage. We'll continue there. But I don't have to teach this passage. Amen. And verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote through this precept. The hardness of your heart. Because they were hardened. They wanted to do what they want. They wanted to divorce. They wanted to live whatever. Who's that here today? Well, if you don't have a heart, it's a heart because you're not them? Because you're not making a golden calf? That don't mean you're not, you don't have a heart, it's a heart. 
is living in disobedience. That's the hardest of heart. Are you living in disobedience? Well, one would say, you know, well, what's considered disobedience? You always just be, yeah, we're pretty much, yeah, that's why we need the Savior. Amen. That's why we need grace. But we're not supposed to indulge in disobedience. Because then you need to question yourself what you really believe and who the authority is and who Christ is in your life. It's one thing when you struggle with this, it's nothing just justifying and make excuses for it and living it out like it's not a sin. That's a whole important thing. I don't want to be you if you're doing that. So it's just a bit. But it's still God showed mercy, showed grace, and he allowed them to write the certificate. But six, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So God goes back to creation from the beginning. God made male and female. I'll let you know male and female. Male and female. Male and female. Can't mess that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't mess up when you're reading that. Yeah, all right? You can't mess that up. It's clear. Male and female. So God, Jesus goes back and gives us the creation. Brings back from the beginning. Telling the Pharisees, listen, I know the beginning. I'm telling you, I, I, I was there. This is the authority of Christ. Amen. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. They become one. Marriage was a picture of Christ being the groom and us being the bride. Going back to creation to show us that, listen, all along he allowed us to marry, he showed marriage to man and woman, but Christ always gives a picture that he is the groom coming back for his bride. We see it in Revelation, we see it throughout the New Testament, and pictures of it in the Old Testament. Jesus is letting us know that he's coming back for us and he is the bride. This is a picture, marriage is a picture of how much God loves us. This is a picture, marriage is a picture of how much God loves his bride. Us. And yet we don't take it. We think we can change that. We think we can change the picture that God gives us. Because love overrides it. Is authority. Seven, for this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Eight, and the two shall become one, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Nine, therefore what God has joined together, man, separate. So he's telling them, he's beside them, the Pharisees, these PhDs of theology. And then 10, and the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. Here are the disciples. You know, they just came from Galilee, where the ministry, where most of the ministry was. They're in Judea now. Galilee was mostly, you know, uh, the uh, Roman um, citizens. And that's where, you know, we think, you know, we go back to Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke have the same passage. 
Okay, so you're getting different views from different um, um, teachers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? So Matthew, in Matthew 19, we see that, you know, he gives also, Matthew also gives the account of that divorce is allowed if the wife commits adultery. Okay, but Mark, Mark omits it. Just read a little bit. Well, Mark, it's because the audience, we understand it's because the audience, the audience that he is speaking to. He's speaking more to the Roman citizens who were divorces allowed by the women. So he omits that. We understand that to be worse. Matthew's speaking more to the Jews. So since Matthew's, and Matthew's speaking more to Israel and the Jews, then it's not omitted. He makes sure it's in there. So when you're looking at scripture, you can't go up once, oh yeah, this says this. You got it's the whole council. That's what we teach scripture by scripture, verse by verse, book by book, because you got to put it all together. It's a puzzle that all the pieces fit exactly perfectly together. You can't just read one without the other. You can't do that. And we do that a lot, right? Amen? We want to say, oh, well, God says this, so this is okay. So, well, what about the other one? And you know, and those that refute, try to refute God's word like to do that too. They like to pick and choose and say this, but not put the other pieces together. You can't. You can't do that. If you're reading Mark, you're reading, you can also read the, the cross-reference, and we have great tools, the, the, the Blue Letter Bible and, and Gateway and all these different tools, they'll cross-reference it for you. A lot of the Bibles have cross-references. So you can see who's talking about because you have different pictures that God's using these men to give us these different pictures. There's so much more to it, culturally, and understanding who they're speaking to. So you got to put it all together. Okay? And that's important. Is that the odds moment? I don't know. <laughs> oh, amen. And then he goes on. Disciples, you know, they, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I read somebody in the commentary looking, how would disciples ask Jesus? Like, why would you ask in the house after he, they just heard him tell the Pharisees this? They've been walking with him all along. They've been doing six months in this ministry. You know, it's understood he's there like six months in Judea right now. And they're walking along and he just, they just saw the miracles. And then they want to ask him about the same matter. You know, nobody really knows but why they would ask the same thing over. They didn't get it yet. You know, I don't know. But how do you not get that? You know what I mean? They walk when they see him, they're with him, right? But they ask him again, actually he just explains it to the Pharisees. I don't know. But Jesus explains some more. It says, 11 and 12, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Like I said, you got to look in the context, put Matthew with that together, put all scripture, first Corinthians, all the scriptures together, and you'll kind of see where, where, where God is trying to tell us. There's still debate today. It's a debate on the topic as it was back then. You know, you have the two different schools, liberal one, like I said, where you can do whatever you want and divorce because, you know, she didn't cook good. Whereas the other one, the only divorce was only for, um, uh, for adultery, right? We have the same things today, the same battles today. It's, 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 you know, between conservative and liberals and, and so on. They always debate this topic, and you can hear over and over and over, go back and forth about how they see it. But at the end of the day, you know, what we need to do is come back to Scripture. Come back to Scripture. 
come back to scripture and let God do the convicting in the heart. But after you've come back to scripture completely and thoroughly in the whole counsel of God and not just pick and choosing the scripture. And then counseling and so forth. Okay? So we see here the authority of God. Authority of Jesus Christ. Right? So Jesus here, he's telling this, he's telling this, he's telling the disciples this. The point here today is about being in reverence of God's word. Being in reverence in the presence of Jesus Christ because he is the Lord. Understanding the importance of us, of us gathering together. All of this goes back to knowing who your God is. Knowing you know who your authority is. And always having that heart of knowing who your authority is. There's the last one I want to read. That, this is David Swallows, right? Amen. So as I was putting this together stuff, and I, you know, I was playing some Christian music stuff, and we all know the song. I was, I was like, wow, being a person of God, reading his word and hearing his song, I should be like this all the time. I should be in his presence all the time, feeling this honest about him. Feeling this this way of, wow, how privileged I am to be able to be able to just read his word. I don't have to go through, you know, the old days where they had to go through the temple to the priest and that that curtain was torn. I would come directly to the presence of God. You no longer have to go to a priest and sacrifice whatever. With Christ, remember we watched that in the movie, right? When when Christ died on the cross and we see this, the earth shaking and, and the, the, the torn curtain because no longer separated. I would come directly in the presence of God. Are you in awe when you're in the presence of God? Because until you're in that allness of God, then you're not going to understand His authority. And then it's not going to flow through your lives and in church and service and understanding why you're here on Sundays and why you come whenever you do and understand the purpose and understand your purpose. It all comes back to understanding who He is, His authority. I'm going to read the song. It's, I can only read it. I hear the words. I don't want to hit you with a double word song, so I'm going to read this one. I can only imagine what it would be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face, when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or Lord, you will be still. Will I stand in your presence? Until my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when a day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine. And all I do is forever. I will worship you. I can only imagine. Can you imagine 
Amen. The song is about how I do his presence. I'm so honored at that time. But you should be like that right now. Or in his word. Or we'll fellowship one another. Or we're in his presence. We should be like this on a regular basis. Then that light that shines so bright that he talks about in scripture will be so radiant through us if our hearts are this way. Your life is not your own. This is not about you. This is not about me. This is about Christ and Christ alone. And if you miss that, then you better get back to that. PJ's going to come up here and he's going to give you an opportunity. If you haven't seen Christ, he's going to say a prayer that's going to help lead you and guide you. But also, he's also going to lead, give you an opportunity to, if your heart hasn't been right, and if you haven't been in awe of God, and he's going to give you this opportunity to get right with God at this moment. So that you can walk in this authority again and believe in faith. I was listening to the message. I looked at how the disciples kind of questioned Jesus and how the Pharisees questioned Jesus, and I thought this that there are three reasons that we question God. One, we don't know what He wants. Two, we know it, but we don't understand it. And three, we disagree with it. And these are the reasons that we question him. And it all has to do with submitting to his authority. And the very first part of submitting to his authority, uh, you hear it up here every week, it's the gospel. It's making him Lord, because there's no such phrase as no Lord. If you're saying no, he's not Lord. It's either God's or it's not. And everything you have, hint, 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 is God's. So what I'd like to do at this moment for those viewers that are here today that are saying, you know what, my life has not been under the authority of God. I've been doing things my own way. And another hint, hint, that's a daily battle. That's an hourly battle that we have doing things our own way. Because we like to think that we have permission. We'll give ourselves permission to turn on the on and off switch. Okay, I'm going to be under his authority in church, so I'll put it on in church. And then when I go out into the parking lot, well, if somebody cuts me off, I'll shut the on switch, I'll shut it to off, and I don't have to be under his authority there because I can tell people how I really feel. Listen, if you're under his authority, you're under his authority. And it's a luxury to do the things that we want to do. And it's trusting that his will is better. So I'd like to invite you all right now to bow your head and close your eyes. And with eyes closed and heads bowed, I want to ask you to raise your hand if there's an area. We're going to do this a little different today. Uh, if there's an area in your life where you're struggling to submit to God's authority, for somebody it might be smoking, for somebody it might be 
cursing. For somebody, it might be anger. For somebody, it might be anxiety. For somebody, it might be in the relationship with your loved one. All right? If there's an area in your life and you're struggling to submit to God's authority, please raise your hand right now. Some of you are raising both of them. All right? And praise God for that. All right? So if you're struggling with authority right now, what I want to do is I want to say this prayer, and I would like you to repeat after me. Say this prayer out loud to him and repeat after me. Father God, I am your child. I've been your child. I'm doing life my way. This needs to stop. Please help me. Empty me that I might be filled with your Holy Spirit. Hold nothing back. Let me do nothing to hinder you from working in my life. I give this to you. I submit to your authority. And now, in that area, whatever area that is, I just want to take a moment of silence. In whatever area that is, pray silently to God right now and just say, I'm giving this to you. And you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, just give it over to Him. Trusting that He can do better with it than you can. That's faith. And this is the appropriate time, and this is the appropriate context for us to bring that verse out, Philippians 4.13, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I am resting in your authority for the thing I cannot do on my own, Lord. I just pray over everyone here that has given this to you right now, God, that you would bless them, fill them, strengthen them to overcome. Make the thing that has tested them into their testimony, God. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom all authority has been given in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.